Brent Kermelitic and thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. You can catch up with news, projects, interviews and much more at architectureanddesign.com.au where you can also subscribe to our newsletters and magazine. Today in our virtual studio we have with us Karen Prima. Karen Prima grew up as the daughter of an architect and fostered a passion for great spaces, effective design and construction. Karen Prima has over 20 years of experience as a senior leader in corporate real estate uh, with a focus on property strategy, uh, creating workspaces that improve individual performance and bring together people. Karen's extensive experience and multifaceted industry knowledge covers transaction design, project delivery, property operations and client services. Her deep understanding of the of how these streams overlap and impact each other enables her to help clients develop bespoke workplace strategies, which we'll talk about, and also enhance company culture and empower productivity, collaboration, and of course, innovation. She has a reputation for successfully managing and working with people of diverse background cultures and varying working styles, which we all know about these days. So welcome to Talking Architect and Design, Karen Prima. Thank you, Banker. Thank you for having me. What is the latest in terms of workplace design? It's the, like both of us sitting here working from home, right? I mean, we probably shouldn't be asking that question, should we? Is there a is there a trend um, that we, we're we're seeing in the workplace? Um, is it in flux, or is it just my perception? Um, look, I think you know, we're, the the evolution we're seeing in workplace design represents a shift in values that ensures the office spaces now emphasise employee health well-being, fulfilment, productivity, and much more. Um, and it's the beginning. I think we're, we're seeing, particularly post-COVID, we're seeing things evolve, at, or we saw during COVID things evolve at quite a rapid rate. And I think we're going to continue to see that over the next decade as well with lots of changes that are st- will still play out um, in the workplace as you know, organisations choose to be bold and try new things with things like AI coming in, the change in age demographics to our workforce. Um the conscious mind that a lot of people have on health and well-being and the impact that workplace has on that. Um, so we're witnessing new offices across the diverse industries um, that are adopting cutting-edge features, emphasising the employee experience as opposed to headcount and space ratios. Um, and while there's no one-size-fits-all approach, there are certain features which are being leveraged to a varying extent in new cutting edge workplaces or workplaces that are at the forefront of, of the new ways of working. Um, so for example, uh, enhanced technologies is one of the vital elements ensuring seamless support of dynamic working styles. And we, we saw that play out particularly um, and, 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 and move at quite a pace during COVID. Before COVID, not many of us use VC. Now most offices are have an enhanced VC experience um, and if they don't already have it, they're working on it pretty quickly to get it up to speed. Um, the other thing that we're seeing that's coming in um, the latest in terms of workplace design is the influence that biophilia can have on um, people's performance and the way they feel within an office, and that includes views, natural light, and a plethora of, of greenery that enhances the office. That um, makes it more aesthetically pleasing um, with a more welcoming vibe. Uh, and in, in, in effect, enhancing productivity and cognitive performance. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That there's been a lot of talk about biophilia, salutogenic design, all sorts of very interesting 
very interesting ways of, of, of making the office a bit small. Uh, it needs to be comfortable. It needs to be a nice space that you want to be in, that you enjoy coming to. So tell me about right-sizing AMP and AMP Capital's global office footprint. What is, what is right-sizing? What does it look like? Okay, well, in the instance of AMP, it was a, a strategic change in, in their business. In their business. Um, they actually sold part of their business, so we had to offload a lot of their international or all of their international offices as part of that sale. So some of them went to the purchase of the business and others um, we needed to either assign or sublease or the lease was at the end of the term. So it was just aligning the property portfolio to the new business strategy of AMP. Um, but at the same time, you know, here in Australia, it was looking at hybrid working and um, and the impact that that had on the, foot, on the office footprint um, and, and the working styles of the organisation. So in, in some instances, um, that was a change in area. In others, it was, it was, a, it was a change in... Um, the way that the workplace was configured. And AMP were very fortunate that they had some great workplaces that were quite agile in the way that they, um, we could adapt them without spending a lot of money. So they were, the designs in, in the Australian offices in particular um, were, were at the forefront of design. They were only done a few years before COVID, some of them during COVID. Um, so we could very quickly adapt to that. And, and the same with the international offices like the London, New York, and Singapore offices, because they were at the forefront of office design and they were very agile uh, workspaces, as, as in they could be adapted easily to suit needs um, without going to huge expense, they were very appealing um, to prospective tenants coming in and taking over the spaces. So we found that tenants that came in didn't need to adapt the spaces too much uh, because of the, I suppose, the lack of, I suppose they were designed in with future changes that may play out in mind. Is there a difference between the Australian office and an overseas office? I mean, uh, or how, or how different? I mean, you know, we often see offices you know, in, in sort of series and whatnot. They don't look too much of them, but, but is there a difference between offices here and overseas? You know, maybe 15 years ago, there, there was in Australia, was in many corporations and in a number of corporations, were, were seen at the forefront of, of, of corporate office design. I don't think that's so much the case anymore. What I do see is, um, you know, Australia and nice and bold at taking, you know, taking on new elements of design in the workplace, which is which is, which is really great to see. Um, and they, they're, they're more willing to, in some respects, but maybe be, be, being a bit biased, um, to experiment with workplace design. Um, so that's what I've seen. But, you know, in saying that, when I was doing AMP's offices in New York and London, I did see some great examples of, of, of workplaces that um, differed a lot from other workplaces within the same region. So I think, you know, workplaces come a, lot, a long way and a lot of organisations are now do take a lot more... Uh, I suppose they give a lot more consideration to the uh, w the ways of working, aligning a workplace strategy to that, and then the design of the office to that, um, so that it it does it is a fulfilling place to staff for staff to come to, and it's a place where they can perform and be productive. So there's considerations of 
of making the design a lot more bespoke to suit the business rather than a cookie-cutter approach or copying what other people do. What is the best type of offer design to get the most profit for a um, it depends on the organisation and, and it, you know, each office it, um, needs to be designed with the organisational organization strategy in mind, their business strategy, their culture, their brand, uh, their workforce and the personas within their workforce. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it really needs to be bespoke and suited towards the, the business. Um, but I think workplaces that are really successful um, do have a lot of the elements that make people feel great within a space, whether it's an office or a house, um, that is lots of natural light, um, the connection with the outside environment, fresh air, air quality, um, biophilia within the office, uh, textures and colours within the office, uh, the lighting within the office that impacts the way people work. All those factors play out into you know, ma making a great workplace as well as technology. You're quite new to this position, aren't you? Um, so the Head of Workplace and Transformation, please. Um, what are you hoping to achieve? Yeah, although I'm new to this position, I've been in corporate real estate and um, um, delivering or transforming workplaces for the last 25 years. Um, so lots of experience behind me, but new um, to this side of the, of the industry, I've always been client side. So I'm hoping to uh, leverage and expand Collier's advisory service offering to clients um, with my experience, my knowledge of having been client side, knowing what matters, um, empowering clients with a strategic workplace strategy, which aligns to their brand values and enhances employee experience and in the end impacts their bottom line. So I know firsthand that a tailored workplace strategy is more important than ever um, during times of market fluctuations, um, new ways of working, increasing the uh, increasing the influence of uh, AI, and a broader um, broader influences that are that are playing out um, in in the designable workplace. So I've I've witnessed a lot of companies adapt to some of the latest cutting edge features only to see them not work. Um, so I think it's important to to really align. Uh, features of a, a workplace that are, are suited to an, a particular organisation and they need to be considered in the context of the company's culture and how their employees work um, in that environment, will work in that environment. You mentioned AI already a couple of times in the conversation. Is that really a big impact on, on, on how you go about designing a, a workplace these days? Yeah, I think it is because I think, you know, we've seen... Um, you know, as as technology evolves, the impact that it has on has had on workplaces, um, and we've seen that particularly over the last twenty years, but more so in the last three years, um, and the use of VC within a workplace. Um, and I think artificial intelligence. Look, from my side, one of the great things I see about artificial intelligence and technology is um, the ability to tell us firsthand how people are using spaces without, without you know, at, at a broad level, without going being too much of a big brother view, but really um, giving us a really clear insight into what works within a workplace and what doesn't. And we've seen that play out quite recently um, with something as simple as a desk booking system. 
um, and, and the data that they can produce to tell us about how efficiently and effective we're using spaces um, is quite insightful. And, and, I mean, it's really simple, um, but it, it is quite powerful in what it can deliver to us. I think it will impact, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think the stats on how many trillions of dollars are being spent on AI and how it will impact you know, two thirds of every 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 job um, every job. So you know, I think that needs to be considered in, in in when we design a workplace and that agility that we we design we we include in our strategy. That at some point in the next decade, it may have an impact on um, on the workplace, and we we don't want to be locked too locked in with you know partitions everywhere and 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 things that, that are expensive to change. So. I think, you know, I've spoken to a few companies and, and they've, they've got quite a, a high-level roadmap of how things will look. So it's, it's, it's something that I think needs to be considered for those companies that, that do have a, a strategy for AI. You know, um, I read somewhere also that the right decision around designing offices for hybrid work, which at least in, in, in parts of Australia is still very, very common, um, will save organisations cost, or costs rather, improve business performance, improve employee engagement, and it's also adaptable. Um, firstly, is, is, can you explain why that is? And secondly, is that the way, is that why, where, sorry, companies are looking? Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, one of the biggest areas where where, um, where it will save companies' costs is, is giving employees choice. And it's not only hybrid use of space, it's hybrid time as well, the time of the day that they can work and that works best for them. Um, and that's got a lot of, that has impact on health as well. Um, you know, and being satisfied with, with you know, how you are working and how you are best using um, your time um, has a huge consequence on, on how productive people can be. So I think, you know, huge savings on recruitment and hopefully companies will see a greater retention of, of their employees and, and, and attraction. Um, and in some ways we saw that, we've seen that play out with organisations that are are, are, um, are taking a different approach to COVID and uh, to, not to COVID, to hybrid. And um, we're seeing employees that aren't happy with some of the approaches and others that are ecstatic at the ability to work any place, any time. Um, so, so that's one area that I can see it being hugely beneficial. Um, and, and while open plan areas that were originally included, introduced decades ago to reduce costs, advances in technology and the, and the advent of hybrid working styles ensure um, that they are now seen as a tool to support employee wellbeing. So I think, I think this rings true for companies with uh, varying budgets, with open plan and agile working areas incorporated in most of the high in the in most of the latest high end office spaces, uh, which are intended to impress and engage both employees and clients. You the C word, Karen. COVID has it really? And I, I've asked other other people who do similar roles to yourself. Has it really? change the way we design offices or has it just tinkered around the edges? Um, I think it's a, I think what, what, what I've seen in particular is more consideration um, and of the employee and the persona of the employee and their, their, their personal circumstances, which then I think has an impact on um, on people's health and how important health is to people. And the way you know I mentioned before, 
air quality, natural light, artificial lighting within an office has an impact on people's health. Um, so, yeah, I think it does. I think it, it's brought home how important the environment that you're working within um, to people that were oblivious to it before um, impacts productivity. Uh, and I think employees are becoming more aware of that as well, um, are more aware of environments that they feel comfortable to work in and environments that, um, that they may not feel that they do their best in. So, yeah, I do. I do think it has. I think it's it, it's it's brought an awareness to health more so um, than I'd seen before COVID. I'm going to quote you now, Karen. You you've said, well, not so that, not so long ago, um, with the new role, uh, that helping clients navigate the complex and evolving workplace landscape. When did the workplace design become so complicated? I think it's more um, about the increase. It's increasingly important to put more time and resourcing into ensuring your new workplace is the best it can be uh, to future-proof both the office and the company uh, which inhabits it. Uh, I think so much is spent on workplaces um, now uh, that you want to get it right and you want to make sure that you know, you're getting value for money. Uh, so it's just not a matter of meeting with the senior leaders of an organisation and asking them for their aspirations and designing it around that. Um, I think you really need to go in and, like I said before, look at the personas of the people working within your office and ask them what works, what doesn't and what they wish for. Um, and I think, you know, I, I've walked into workplaces that are absolutely stunning and, you, can't, you know, business leaders say, but it doesn't work for us. It's, you know, I can't get them to use these spaces over here. Why aren't they using these spaces? And it's, it's because they've been designed copying what other companies have done rather than delivering a, a bespoke design based around the individuals that work within that office and the company culture. So, yeah, I think I think it's, it's and I don't think a lot of, you know, it's workplace strategists and, and, and people in the design industry that understand how to obtain the information from an organisation that will impact the way a, a workplace is designed. Um, a lot of companies don't have this, this um, the ability and that they're quite fearful of where do I start? Where, how, how do I approach this? How do I know what's right? How do I know how hybrid will work for my organisation? Um, the workplace strategists and a lot of designers um, know the questions to ask and know how to navigate it. Um, so I think, you know, for organisations, a lot of organisations without this skill set, it is complex. But for people that have been in the business for quite some time, we can guide organisations through the process and make it simple for them. You are, I mentioned in, in the intro, you are a bit of an architect. Um, so I'm assuming that you picked up some design ideas um, over the years, uh, some, maybe some design ideas in, in, in the DNA. Um, I think, look, I think, you know, growing up sort of, as you say, above the shop. <laughs> um, so, you know, I learned to read um, plans at quite a young age and, and you know, have an appreciation of, uh, you know, abstract, you know, putting 3D design in my mind and, and really being able to visualise designs, etc. But I think, you know, there was a really strong influence on my eye for design and teaching me the power of simplicity. Um, so 
he also had a, a, a you know a natural or a great love he was in architecture in the 1960s so a great love of designing um with nature the natural environment in, in mind and and you know and looking at things like you know um taking advantage of natural breezes and natural light and making sure things uh designs face the right direction um also um very practical he was very practical so or he is still very practical and I I think I you know I was even around when we were renovating our house so I you know getting involved with how things go together and how how um, things are constructed and from a very early age I can remember going out and measuring sites with him and holding up the measuring stick and uh, and 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 really understanding how things come together so um, yeah from a very young age I had a, a love of steel and concrete okay Love of steel and concrete. Well, okay. So <laughs> Karen Primo be perfectly designed off this for herself. Um, a who would design it? I assume it would be Karen, be Karen Primo. But um, and what would it look like? Um, who would design it? I think that's um, someone I could I connect with. I think you know any designer that anyone works with, you really need to connect with them. Um, and who shares my values and who's delivered work I admire. Now, there's a lot of. Uh, designers out there that I could name. So I think it would depend on the environment that my I was designing the office in um, and, and selecting the applicable uh, designer from there. So I'm not going to name any particular one designer because I've got there's so many great ones out there. Um, but what would it look like? Um, it definitely would have to um, encompass um, a lot of aspects that enhance health and wellbeing. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I know firsthand how much um, uh, certain elements of design impact the way I can be productive within a space. Um, but also, you know, I want it to have a great vibe. I love spaces, whether it's a restaurant, a cafe, um, that have a great vibe and, and character and personal touches um, that have a story behind the space. Um, and I particularly loved working um, on my recent project with AMP Capital at Key Quarter Tower and how we integrated the Reconciliation Action Plan into that design. It was really powerful and it was really enjoyable to work with um, the local Indigenous community to, to incorporate local design elements and local um, and artwork from um, uh, from the community into uh, the workplace there. So, um, and, and it was a really lovely story to share um, along with that community when we were showing people through the space. So, um, yeah, a lot of depth to that one. So I'd like to incorporate, you know, the local Indigenous community in, in any office space that I designed. Karen Prima, Collier's Head of Workplace and Trans Transformation, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Banco. It's enjoyable. You've been listening to Talking Architecture. That was Karen Primark, our colleague's head of workplace and transformation. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Branko Melodic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au.